Good morning. Will you please stand with me to honor the reading of God's word? Uh, this morning's scripture comes from Acts 13, verses 48 through 52. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout woman of the high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to the Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Bro, great job. You can keep that mic. Let's co-preach, man. So good. Good morning, everyone. How we doing? Good to see everyone uh, this morning. Uh, before I jump into the Word, I, I can attest that Paul Dawkins is a fast walker. Where's he at? Uh, there, he, he invited me over to his neighborhood to go for a walk, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm of the persuasion that you should be barely moving, that, that a walk is not a workout, and that we shouldn't be tracking our steps or measuring our pace or hitting any goals. And this guy's like, all right, let's go. And I'm out of breath. And uh, I learned. I was like, I'm, I, uh, we're coffee people, Paul, or lunch people. So if you invite me to go for a walk, I'm setting the pace, okay? Uh, if not coffee or food, I am, I'm there, okay? As my mom says, I'm, I'm the panzon. I like to eat. Uh, so shout out to my people. Uh, once again, good morning, guys. Uh, get, to, get to be with you all. Happy 4th of July weekend. Hope it's been um, a refreshing weekend, a good change of pace uh, as we uh, enter into this, uh, from, from some of us, a, a, maybe a four-day weekend. Uh, I, either way, it seems like uh, the summer is a cool time to slow down, rest, and relax. So I pray that it's been refreshing uh, for you guys. Well, we're going to jump into it this morning. We are concluding our, our three-week sermon series uh, called Spirit Lead Me. So if you've been journeying with us for, for the past couple of weeks, uh, we've been unpacking different components of the Spirit-led life. And what we see from the scriptures is, is that God gives us this, Jesus says that it's better that I leave so that the Holy Spirit, the helper, can come. And the Holy Spirit, as Gordon Fee says, is God's empowering presence. Uh, it's, it's the person of God empowering us to walk in all that Jesus did and, and helping us live the Christian life. You see, contrary to the popular belief, uh, you cannot live the Christian life. Uh, you cannot live the way that God has called us to live. And, and, and the reason I'm excited about this, the reason this is good news, is because the Holy Spirit can live that life. And Jesus has given us the helper who empowers us and works in us and through us so that we can become more and more like Christ. And so in our first week, we discussed this idea that the spirit-led life is connected to prayer. That when Jesus was going to be baptized, he was praying and the spirit of God descended upon him and anointed him to do the work of the ministry. Now, one of the ideas that emerged uh, post-enlightenment was that Jesus was doing the miracles that he was doing because he was God in the flesh. And although that's true, there's a little bit of problems there because there was other people in the Old Testament that were doing miracles. There was other people that had uh, these moments of parting the waters and raising the dead and healing. Were they doing those things because they were God in the flesh? No. But what we see that's different about Jesus is that he is God in the flesh, 
but he's moving in power. He's moving in miracle signs and wonders because the spirit of God came over him. And when he was anointed with the Holy Spirit, he goes out and begins to uh, usher in this kingdom of God that's breaking into our sinful world, reversing the effects of sin and restoring the world the way God intended it to be. And what this means for you and I is that the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead is available for you and I to walk in resurrection power, to walk in victory over sin, to do the things that Jesus did. Why? Because there's a greater power at work in us and powers in the world. Uh, the second week, we unpack this idea of the fear of God and, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not one to say, hey, go back and listen to the messages, because uh, I, I, to be honest, I, I, I tend to forget what I preached about the week before. But that one is one that I encourage you, even these past two weeks, to go back and, and listen to these, because I think there's a lot there for us uh, that, that will sort of define uh, our attitude and our identity as, as, as a church that's led by the Spirit of God. And we talked about this idea that the early community Community, the early followers of Jesus were being strengthened as they lived in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And contrary to popular belief, the fear of the Lord is not this ancient, outdated idea that has no relevance to us. Rather, there's great joy in fearing God. There's great provision and blessing in holding God in such high honor and esteem and reverence that is actually good for our lives. Uh, in one way or another, we've been unpacking this idea of being filled with the Spirit of God so that we can be led by the Spirit of God. Um, and, and you know this idea to be true, that whatever you are filled with, whatever you're consumed with, uh, will drive your life. Uh, whatever you're filled with and whatever you're consumed with will influence the decisions you make. What you are filled with, what you are consumed with in one way or another will lead and influence your life. If you're filled with rage and you're filled with hate and you're filled with jealousy, that will come out of you. And instead of creating a life of unity and love and harmony through what's inside of you, we'll create a world of further destruction or brokenness or chaos or, or disconnection. Uh, if you're filled with so much social media in your life, you will begin to see the world from a different perspective. And we know this to be true because uh, uh, there's papers and studies coming out saying that, that individuals who are addicted to social media doesn't increase their quality of life. Rather, it, it taints and skews the way they see life. And then you're trying to grasp for a life or a way of living that, that isn't even real. Or maybe we've seen this to be true where the algorithms and the stuff that you like begin to populate your feed and it begins to sort of influence the way you see and you think about the world. And now you have all this information inside of you that's forming you instead of Christ the Lord forming us. The news, you, you pick it, sin, whatever it is, if it consumes you, if it fills you, uh, it will lead your life and direct your life, whatever you are filled with, whatever you're consumed with in one way or another will lead and influence your life. So, so the question I have for us this morning is this, how do we get filled with the spirit of God? How do we get filled with God's empowering presence that we begin to look more and more like Christ, that we begin to think more and more like Jesus, that we feel like Jesus, that we see like Jesus, that we walk like Jesus? 
How do we get so filled with the spirit of God that the things that once consumed us, the things that once had a hold uh, on our lives loses its grip because we're head over heels for the God that's head over heels for us. What are you filled with this morning? What are you consumed with? Whatever that thing is, I want to argue that in one way or another, will fight for your attention, fight for your allegiance, and fight for mastery over your life, and lead you into a place of not further freedom the way Jesus can, but as the scripture says, further enslavement. So what does it look like to be filled with the Spirit? What are the daily practices of a follower of Jesus uh, that they pursue so that they can be postured to receive and be filled with God's Spirit? We're really good at this in other areas of life. When that gas light comes on, because it's coming on frequently, because we're filling up less and less, we're like, I got to fill this thing. And, 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 and trust me, uh, the Lord does not turn water into gasoline. And if he does, you have an anointing over your life. And, and we want to bring you up to pray over our gas tanks. But we recognize that that light comes on and it's like, oh, I got to fill this thing with gas. And then you start pumping it, but you look over so nobody looks at you because you realize you ain't going to put that much into it, but you don't want to be judged. I know you college students did that, do that, because I did that as a college student, but thanks be to God, there's uh, budgets and stuff, but um, it's like, man, this doesn't work. You go, you look into your fridge, and it's empty, and you know it needs to be filled. So you walk through the grocery, door, the grocery store, you do your, your, your curbside pickup, you know that this thing is being depleted. And so you take the initiative to fill it. Uh, You go out to eat because there's something empty in here. So you go out there to fill it and to eat. And we're so aware of this in these distinct areas of our lives that call for our attention. But if I'm honest, we're sometimes not aware of it when it connects to our spirituality. Am I filled with God's presence today or am I empty? Am I good with Jesus or or do I need a little bit more? What's the gauge on this thing? When does the light come on? And oftentimes we settle for a very limited low bar Christianity because we're just content with where we are when God has so much more for us. So to unpack this idea, uh, we're going to visit two places in scriptures. The first scene Justin read for us in Acts 13. The second is found in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures and I see some Bible slipping. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, own a Bible, or you need a new Bible, uh, would you shoot up your hand? And my man Erwin is going to put a Bible in your hand. And, and we want you to look at the scriptures uh, with us. It's a powerful thing when we open up the word of God and engage it together. And I just want to shout you guys out, church, because of your generosity. We've given away 46 of these awesome, good-looking Bibles for people to hold in their hand and read the scriptures. So thank you uh, for, for being a generous church and playing a part in, in the scriptures getting in people's hands. So write your name in that, uh, and, and uh, I'll call you or somebody will call you and put that thing in your hand. Uh, so Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 18 through 20, it says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. That, that word means sort of senseless, excessive indulgence, but be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's look at Acts 13, uh, 48 through 52 one more time. 
And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, and they stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray and ask God to prepare our hearts. God, we come in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, I thank you that you're with us this morning. Uh, I sense your presence, and, and I just have this feeling of expectation uh, that you're going to do miracle signs and wonders in this room today. Uh, Lord, I thank you that, that even this morning, as the word goes out and as we worship in spirit and truth, uh, real chains are being broken. Uh, addictions are being uh, cast off. Lord, I thank you that you, you are transforming lives this morning, one degree of glory to another. So uh, for these next few moments, I pray that you would give us just this supernatural 2020 vision to, to look into your word, uh, to see you clearly this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to work through some scriptures, so keep those Bibles open, and uh, we're going to unpack a few key ideas, and then we're going to tie it all in at the end. Everyone looks good. Let's do it. So uh, verse 18 in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Now let's pause. Uh, If you grew up in any sort of tradition or household like me, this was often used as a verse to say, alcohol, bad. Don't touch it. None of it. Sin. And what happens sometimes is that we can look at this verse and focus on, 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 on this part of drunkenness and wine that, that we begin to ask ourselves uh, all the wrong questions. You see, what Paul is not doing here is he's not asking uh, or, 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 or writing about whether or not wine or alcohol is permissible in the Christian life. That is not what this passage of scripture is about. And if you look at this scripture and you begin to make it about that, if you begin to make it about what you can or can't do, then you miss out on the freedom that this passage is trying to offer. So let's examine it a little bit closely. You see, what this scripture reveals is something incredibly significant. It reveals this. It's not that wine and alcohol is inherently sinful. In the same way that, that, that water or, or, or cheese or dessert is not inherently sinful. Rather, when those things are misused and abused, then they become sinful. And the scriptures provide plenty of examples for this way of thinking. It's not by nature sinful. Rather, when it is misused and abused by the consumer, then that practice and action is sinful. And so over and over and over again, what we see in the scriptures is that when alcohol, or strong drink is misused and abused, people always suffer. Uh, You know this to be true. You know, you've seen this. You, You may have experienced this, that the misuse and abuse of alcohol is what leads to the tragic sin of drunkenness that Paul is tackling. And it doesn't necessarily increase the quality of life, Rather, it, it, it decreases it. People, yourself, others will suffer. And, and what the scriptures reveal is that this is no light or casual thing. Over and over and over again, we see families ripped apart. 
we see communities suffer. In the Old Testament, nations enslaved because certain individuals are consumed with self-centered and selfish desires. And instead of being overtaken by the Spirit of God, they're overtaken by another substance. They're overtaken by strong drink. And, and it doesn't produce greater freedom. It produces further misery and brokenness. So we're going to stay here for a little bit because I want to show you how it connects to this idea of being filled by the Spirit. So a simple internet definition of what drunk means is this. Affected by alcohol to the extent of losing control of one's faculties or behavior. We didn't need a definition there because you, you know this, you've seen this. Uh, but I, I, I want to read this again and see how it applies for us today. Being affected by alcohol to the extent of losing control of one's faculties or behavior. Now, where Paul is writing in this ancient city of Ephesus, this pagan community that Paul was trying to reach was very tempted in a way that is different from you and I to adopt a lifestyle of drunkenness. Now, bear with me, history glasses on, and listen to this amazing quote by a New Testament scholar, uh, Clinton Arnold. He says this, in some of the Greco-Roman religions, drunkenness was even seen as the means by which one could experience ecstasy and union with God. This was most notable in the cult of Dionysus, the god of wine, whose cultic symbol was the vine. The presence of this cult is well attested for Ephesus in literary, literary accounts, and it was on the Ephesian coins and many inscriptions. The first writer, uh, Plutarch, even narrates on account of Mark Anthony arriving in Ephesus when the city was celebrating a festival in honor of this god. Part of the celebration included musical harps, flutes, and pipes. And because of this evidence, some interpreters have concluded Paul's injunction warning against drunkenness prior to his command to be filled with the Spirit was needed because some of the believers in Ephesus may have been attempting to increase their unity with God by the practice of cultic drunkenness. This community, Ephesus, the, the, the mecca of dark spiritual practices. Uh, people would go and find whatever idol they wanted to bow down to and enter into worship. And it was a common practice for this community of people to enter into drunkenness because they believed that as they were drunk, they were being unified, connected, experience, having a spiritual experience. And this is what's so great about Paul. He's like, you don't need to do that. You can chill. Uh, in fact, this is a gospel of grace, not a gospel of works. What this means is that you don't need to alter yourself to experience God. In his grace, he doesn't need your help. He doesn't need your efforts for him to encounter you right where you are. You don't need to take anything else in except the grace of God. And you don't need to adjust your lifestyle, adjust your diet, go on a spiritual experience and take in all sorts of things to get closer to God when he's already inside of you. See, certain Ephesians believed that they needed to consume mind-altering and behavior-altering drinks in order to have an experience with, with God. When in reality, they were removing themselves from experiencing God by partaking in sinful practices. And this idea is so ancient. But guess what, church? We do it all the time. You see, maybe it's not alcohol, 
but maybe it's another substance or a lifestyle that you're drunk with, that you're drinking from, that you're hoping will alter your perception of yourself and the world. Going back to this internet definition we read earlier, drunk, drunkenness, affected by alcohol to the extent of losing control of one's faculties or behavior. And I'm convinced that you can take out alcohol and fill in the blank with whatever lifestyle or activity of choice. Not just drunkenness from alcohol, but drunkenness from any form. To be consumed with a substance, activity, or lifestyle. To be consumed with an ideology or a person that you begin to change and alter your behavior and to live a a way that God never intended you to live. Drunkenness of any form. Drunk with greed. So drunk with greed that you're filled with a love for money. So consumed with greed that it will drive your life and influence the decisions you make. And so instead of being generous and giving freely, you hoard and gather. Instead of joyfully resting in the things that God has already provided you, you work tirelessly to get more. And when you drink from that cup, You further enslave yourself to a master that cannot fulfill or satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. Drunk with fear and worry. Consumed with worry about the future. Consumed with worry about the kids. Worry about other people's thoughts about you. Consumed with worry about other people's perception of you. So drunk with worry about finances and whether or not you're good enough. And constantly drinking from this cup of fear that it begins to overflow in your life and influence the decisions that you make. And instead of consulting God, you consult yourself. And then you call it wisdom because it preserves the life that you think God wants for you. And you call it comfort because your preferences are still set in place, but you miss out on what God wants to do in your life because you let fear drive you away from faith and trust. Drunk with lust, consumed with the sexual desires of the flesh, so much so that it is completely unchecked in your life. And like being drunk, it has altered your mind, it has altered your behavior, and leads you and directs you to feast on forms of perverted intimacy digitally and physically. Drunk with power. Drunk with performance. Drunk with jealousy. You name it. Whatever you're filled with, whatever you're consumed with, will lead and direct your life, not to green pastures, but to further enslavement. You see, we, we see this in Acts chapter 13 in, in a different way. You see, Paul and Barnabas, uh, these two church planting missionaries, they're in a Gentile city, and they're preaching the good news of the kingdom of God, and, and they're seeing thousands come to faith in Jesus. It's nothing short of a miracle. And, and it says this in Acts 13, 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Um, uh, I love that it says... Uh, uh, Almost the whole city. I love this like Lucan exaggeration. It's what it's called. It's like, was the whole city there? No, but almost the whole city. Um, That's how I tell stories. Yeah, everybody was there. And then my wife was like, there was like three people there. (laughs) And I was like, but I saw everybody in the spirit. Um, 
And so they're preaching the gospel. Thousands are coming to know Jesus. And, and it seems like it's such a pure good thing. And, and, and Luke makes it very clear that they're in a Gentile city. Why is that significant? There was these sort of opposing tensions between Jews and Gentiles. Jews considered themselves the people of God, and anybody who wasn't Jewish was considered an outsider, a Gentile. But the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus has come to gather all of the nations, not just Jews, but every single nation, every single culture, group and offer salvation that's not found in a cultural heritage, but faith in Christ. And so they're captivated by this unifying message of Jesus, and they're preaching it, and thousands are are getting saved, and there's one specific group that was not very happy about it. Because they were seeing people come to Jesus, and this is what was happening. Verse 52, the disciples were filled with joy and filled with the Holy Spirit. Upon hearing the good news of the kingdom of God and entering into relationship with Jesus, joy took over and God put his spirit inside of his people. But this is what it says in verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Do you see it? One group of people hearing the message of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, moving in joy. Another group completely resistant to the way of God. And guess what? If you're not filled with the Spirit of God, you will be filled with something or someone else. And in this case, they're filled with jealousy, filled with anger, filled with rage. And what did we say? Whatever you're filled with, whatever you're consumed with, will direct and will influence the decisions that you make. If you don't know what you're filled with, just reevaluate some of the recent decisions you made. If you don't know what's inside of you, look at the life you're currently pursuing and living. And so what did they do? What, what, how was their behavior influenced? It says this, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. Verse 50, and the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirring up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of their district. A community of people so drunk with jealousy, so consumed with their own desires, rather than being filled with the Spirit. And what does it influence them to do? Rally this whole city of people in power and influence and get them kicked out of the city and do, doing so violently. You see, this community of believers is, is met with tremendous opposition because a different community is filled with rage and jealousy. And church, this is what drunkenness does. Being so consumed and so filled with something or someone else that it isn't the spirit that isn't the spirit of God, that will create opposition in your life. Why? Because it goes against God's design. You see, instead of being filled with the Creator, you're filled and consumed with the created things of the world. Instead of being filled with the creator, you are filled with the created. And creation was never designed to satisfy you and fulfill you the way God can. And for this reason, Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. That's senseless. It's useless. There's another alternative, something better. You want to get drunk? Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Not in a way where you lose complete self-control, but a greater power and force comes inside of you that directs you and moves you and leads you in a way that actually produces life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to, the, to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here is the million-dollar question. How is one filled with the Spirit? How does one enter into a practice of being filled with the Spirit? Now, it takes on many forms and fashions, and it's not reduced to like this five sort of point checklist, but these are the way Paul says we can be filled with the Spirit. He says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to, the God, uh, to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do you want to put into practice some rhythms that will further uh, fill you with the Holy Spirit? This is what Paul says to do. Address one another. That, that's another word for gathering together. Uh, adopt a lifestyle of worship and thanksgiving and serve one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's address that first rhythm. Paul says, addressing one another. This is the idea of gathering together. This is exactly what we're doing right now. Uh, The regular act of gathering together to worship, to sing praise to his name is one of the ways we are filled with the spirit. What we're doing right now. And and there's people who will say things like, the gathered Sunday morning is is just an event. It's just an activity. And they minimalize the sacredness of what we're doing because the scripture says that when we do this, his spirit comes and fills us. I am so passionate about the gathering of the saints. And I am so 100% convinced that God is with us in this moment, transforming us from one degree of glory to another. Which means that when we neglect the gathering of the saints, when we don't make it an intentional practice to meet with one another, when we decide, oh, I'll come to church or I'll come fellowship if I feel like it, we're removing ourselves from an opportunity to be filled with the Spirit of God and experience great degrees of transformation that eventually build up to great breakthrough and miracle signs and wonders in our life. You see, we know this to be true, that when we put a pause on gathering, The world did. It wasn't like, man, life is great because I'm on Zoom or live stream. It was kind of fun for a minute, like, oh, this is so neat. But then afterwards, you and I experienced the same thing. This dryness in our soul that we tried to find a way to accommodate and fix, when in reality, we were experiencing this dryness because the scriptures call us to be together with one another and God is in our midst. You see, when we remove ourselves from fellowshipping with God's people uh, and intentionally gathering with one another, you will become dry. Why? Because you're not drinking from the cup that God has provided for you to be filled with his power and presence. And so when you come to worship on Sunday mornings, when you show up to community groups, when you attend summer nights, when you fellowship with God's people over breakfast, coffee, or hangout at your house, guess who's in the room? the God of those people. And that's why I love what we're doing. And that's why I love getting around brothers and sisters throughout the week. That's why I love sacrificing bedtimes and having my child be a complete mess if it means getting people around us. Why? Because God's spirit and power comes and fills my heart. And and let me just make this abundantly clear. This has nothing to do with being extroverted. 
This has nothing to do with uh, being energized by people. Being extroverted has never empowered me to overcome sin. It's the spirit of God indwelling me and indwelling you and I that gives us power to overcome sin and become more like Jesus. And the more that we can get around each other and the more we can grow with one another and reflect Christ to one another, the more we will become like him. We gather together and God meets us and fills us with the spirit. The second rhythm is a lifestyle of worship and thanksgiving. Uh, there's various ways of being filled, but Paul, in this case, instructs believers to, 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 that follow Jesus to worship and give thanks. Why does he instruct them to worship and give thanks? I, I believe it, it's for this reason. Uh, one of the ways we resist getting drunk with things that we believe will satisfy, fulfill us, and increase the quality of our lives is by looking to God and seeing how all of those things are found in Christ Jesus. And what happens when God is worshiped? He meets his people and he strengthens them by his spirit as they worship and praise his name. And and we can minimalize worship. I don't like that song or that thing is weird or why is that happening? And I love what Chris Millar said. He said, they ain't singing to you, man. They're singing to Jesus. And so worship becomes an opportunity to get our minds off of ourselves or our preferences or our own ideas of musical arrangements and lift up the holy name of Jesus. And as we begin to lift up our praises to him, he begins to encounter us and form us in a unique and sacred way. I worship all the time. Uh, I, I can't sing Uh, at all, but I'm singing in the house, calling down heaven, because I want to have an experience with God, and the Bible says that I can do that, even if I make a terrible noise. Uh, Having the volume up on worship and singing aloud, getting your mind off of your own thoughts and centering your mind on words about Jesus does an incredible transformative act that I, I can't explain, but has been so monumental in my own personal life. Thanksgiving, this attitude of constant gratitude towards God the Father for what he has done for his children and all that he has done for Jesus. And I love this. Give, Paul says, give thanks. Give thanks for what? He says, give, giving thanks always for everything. What do you give thanks for? everything. Uh, I, I love that I, I get to gather uh, with a few men during the week and, and, and we open up our time by giving thanks. And even in our pre-service meetings, we've been doing this every Sunday. We just go around the circle and we give thanks. And what do we give thanks for? Everything. Lord, thank you for these contacts. I can see. Uh, Lord, thank you for these Chick-fil-A points that I got. I'm going to eat Lord, thank you for providing this vehicle. Lord, thank you for this family. Lord, thank you for this community. Church, when you posture yourself in this position of gratitude and thanksgiving, God will meet you and you will be filled with his spirit. How does it happen? I don't know. But there's something so powerful about entering into God's presence with thanksgiving that Paul says, peace that surpasses understanding begins to cover you. I can't explain it because it surpasses understanding, but I know it's happening. And church, if this is not a regular rhythm you're implementing into your life, I encourage you to start doing so. Start giving thanks to God for everything, whatever comes to mind. If you don't know where to start, consider yourself. Lord, thank you for bringing me here. 
And Lord, thank you for these articles of clothing. Lord, thank you for this phone that I get to read the scriptures on. Lord, thank you for this bed. Lord, thank you for everything. And the more we begin to enter into that posture, the more and more uh, we encounter God, and he begins to fill us with the spirit. Lastly, reverent submission. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, Other translations say this, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I love that. Uh, I love that translation because it beautifully connects to the idea that we discussed last week. You see, one of the defining characteristics of the spirit-empowered community was walking in fear of the Lord, a faith that was rooted in, in reverence for Christ and having such a high image of who God is that we love the things that he loves and hates the things that he hates. And so what does God love? God loves his people. And so we're so filled with the spirit of God that we move towards people. And how do we treat people? The way God treats people. We, we serve them, we love them, we shoulder one another burdens, we meet each other's needs. You see, this practice is essential for the work of the Spirit to move in us and through us because this practice reveals uh, this essential core aspect of being a follower of Jesus, and that's self-denial. Being able to deny ourselves so that we can carry our cross and, and, and uh, practice union in following Jesus, denying ourselves and making him Lord, laying aside our preferences and ideas for the sake of becoming more and more like Jesus. And that looks like often deferring to others instead of ourselves, uh, expressing concerns for others. And when we do the things that Jesus did, the Holy Spirit meets us. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what Jesus did. Uh, if you're wondering whether or not the Holy Spirit is at work in your life or, or you want the Holy Spirit at work in your life, go do the things that Jesus did. And the Spirit will empower you to walk like Christ and live like Christ because it's his empowering presence that enables us to exalt Christ and enter into ministry. And sometimes we just don't see the Spirit at work in our lives because if we're honest, we don't really have a desire to do what Jesus did. And we don't want to pursue obedience to the scriptures. And we don't want to show concern for others. And we don't want to enter into thanksgiving and worship him. And and, and sometimes we are resisting the work of God in our lives because maybe we're just drunk with apathy. Drunk with self-centered desires and comfort. You see, God wants us to be completely under the influence of the Spirit. And anything that would disrupt that influence or replace the influence of the Spirit needs to be resisted and rejected. One author says it this way, what's interesting to notice is that both influences can wear off. This experience of being filled with the Spirit or this experience of being drunk, as he's talking about with alcohol, they both can wear off. And the drunken person eventually sobers up unless he takes in more alcohol. And since Christians are still sinful, we tend to turn away from the Spirit's positive influence and seek control of our own lives. That is why, based on the grammar of this command, we, are, we really are to keep on being filled with the Spirit. Keep on being filled. Keep on drinking from this river of life. Uh, This is not a once-for-all occurrence, but something we need to do continually. Why? Because it can wear off. 
The filling of the Spirit then is relying upon his indwelling influence to empower us to live like and to be like Jesus Christ. Church, where is your heart this morning? Where is your soul? Is the Spirit revealing to you that you are on empty? Thanks be to God. He freely meets us where we are and enjoys filling us up so that we can experience God's empowering presence in our life. Are you three quarters full? Praise God, let's top it off this morning. Are you so full that there's no more room? We're gonna make room and he's going to fill us up even more as we empty ourselves to give ourselves over to the work of ministry. As we come to a close, I have a few questions for you. What do you need to resist and reject this morning? What is God calling you to turn away from, uh, to um, uh, remove and reject from your life that is keeping you from being filled with the Spirit? Is it a specific habit? Is it an activity, maybe one that we listed off earlier? Is it apathy? Is it carelessness? Uh, is it this habitual practice that uh, you keep on consuming yourself with? What is God calling you to resist and reject this morning? The second question is, well, how do you resist and reject? Well, through what Paul says, through worship and thanksgiving. Uh, we resist and reject the things of the world by coming to him and receiving his grace, worshiping, giving thanks, doing it together. And when we do so, I believe this promise to be true that he will fill us with his empowering presence. Uh, let's receive as we come uh, to Jesus in prayer.